The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by J.J. Zacharyson, the late-round quarterback, uh, frequent guest of the show last year, and I'm now, uh, just through the rest of the offseason, we're going to be making the rounds, bringing on uh, all my buddies who are way better at fantasy football than me, and we're going to go through a bunch of big dynasty stuff before we uh, before we break down uh, best ball and all that stuff. So, J.J., how you doing, man? Are we are we pumped for the draft? I mean, how are we how are we feeling? What are you hoping the Steelers do? Are you bummed out that everyone in the NFL got a new quarterback but you? Yeah. I mean, look, my fandom isn't nearly what it used to be. I, I don't care nearly as much about the Steelers as I as I used to, which is kind of sad. Like if you were to tell 18-year-old JJ that, he'd probably be pretty disappointed. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope the Steelers, I mean, I still like the Steelers more than other teams, but I'm not gonna like get upset if they lose. I I, I just hope they do not get Najee Harris in the first round. Um, because I think last year, a lot of their issues were offensive line driven. Um, and, 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 you know, we saw that even in the way that they manip- they changed their offense to be this like super low a dot quick passing, you know, that's why Deontay Johnson was targeted the way he was targeted is because the offensive line was so bad. Um, and so I think they need to, they need to fix that before they think that, you know, a guy like Najee Harris is the answer to all their problems. I, I agree with you. I am a little worried that they're like, look, we just need, we need uh, a grinding break and tackles uh, pound. We need our Derrick Henry clone, right. Yeah. To, to make up for the fact that we can't block, which is obviously the exact opposite lesson that they should have learned from last season. But uh, what we're going to do today is you just published your uh, pre-draft rankings on numberfire.com you guys can go check those out there if you just go to jj's profile it's like his fifth to last tweet uh you can also just find them on numberfire.com i uh, and these are not super flex rankings uh so actually this is a great place to start in Superflex. where do you like i think lawrence is obviously one if you assume fields to the 49ers i think fields is two mm-hmm. Are you taking Pitts, Chase, Najee, Etienne over Wilson, over Lance uh, in, in the eventuality that they go top 10, or are you just still going with, with Lance and Wilson? I think a lot of, a lot of it would probably be team dependent. Like, I, I think that like Najee and Jamar Chase and, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going Pitts unless you're in like a tight end premium league or like a start two tight end league um, in that spot. But, um, you know, the, the, the Wilson versus Lance debate, is kind of interesting to me because to me, Wilson's the safer prospect and he, he's yeah. good. He's good analytically across the board. I feel good about Zach Wilson being a starter for a longer period of time than I do with Trey Lance. But I also think that Trey Lance can, can break fantasy football similarly to what we saw with like Lamar Jackson, maybe not to that degree, but he has that sort of rushing upside. And um, you know, I mean, Lance is even bigger. Lance yeah, is right. Lance is like a huge dude. Like he's well, more Josh Allen than Lamar. You're right, right. I'm just saying the way that he'll compile yeah. stats, right? And so, yeah. yeah, like the comp that Jim Sonnis at Number Fire had for, has for Trey Lance's thick Michael Vick. Um, oh, so, talk so dirty to me, Jim. That's the that's the 
the, uh, you know, the upside that we're looking at with Trey Lance. So to me, it just depends on how you're approaching, uh, you know, how, how you're approaching your team build and whether you want to go for the safe option or the more volatile option. You know, I think I had Wilson one spot ahead of Lance in the same tier in my rankings. Um, but I think if it were my team, that was like my, my safer answer, you know, for my right. rankings pre-draft, if it were my team, I'm still probably just taking Lance. Cause I'm, I'm going to chase upside a little bit more than most people probably. Um, but I think that they're in that conversation right at one Oh three. And then with, uh, you know, Najee, who's my RB one and then Jamar chase, I think, you know, if you want to go the wide receiver route, um, you could go with him as well. Cause I think he's in that top tier. So 103 is where things get a little bit interesting as someone who has the 103 in a couple of drafts. I'm kind of hoping that like selfishly in a way that Justin Fields doesn't go to San Francisco. So that, that he falls a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit more, you know, the 102 isn't so locked in, uh, but if Fields goes to San Francisco, I actually think that you can make the case that Fields is the 101 is not the 101. I, not that I would put him there, but I think there's at least an argument to be made. Yeah. So I, I do think, and, and Lawrence is not a statue. Like he's not like Brock Osweiler, but Fields has more rushing upside at the NFL level. And they, yeah. they both will run a little bit. I think Lawrence is probably like a, um, maybe like a Dak Prescott style rusher where they're not going to be calling like QB power for him, but he could have six rushing touchdowns, yeah, you know, a couple of different times. It's, yeah. Andrew, it's Andrew Luck, right? It's, it's the same, yeah. the same type of situation where, I mean, that's the comp that people throw out there in terms of him being the best prospect since him. And Andrew Luck had that un- undervalued, underrated, you know, rushing upside every single season. And I, I think that's what we'll probably get with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's, uh, so I, I, for me, I actually think, there's no problem taking pits 101, even in Superflex, if it's tight end premium. I would not do it. I don't think I have the 101 um, in a couple different leagues because I spent uh, all of last offseason tanking on it. Well, when Dak Prescott's get Dak Prescott gets injured, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is bad and McCole Hardman is bad. That's it was just like, well, that's a done deal for my dynasty teams because those were those are my dudes. So I have the 101 in a couple of these leagues. And I do I do want pits and obviously at least because we're in a I think we're probably in like four dynasty leagues together. And I would love to get pits in one of these leagues, but I just think and with the one on one, I think you just have to take Lawrence or Fields, kind of kind of depending. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, look, I'm in a I'm in a two tight end league, uh, start two tight ends. And I think that in that format, uh, going pits does, you know, it's not a terrible, terrible idea. I think tight end premium, you know, if you were to like rank the importance of tight ends in these different formats, I'd say that a start two tight end, that's the most important. That's when you would want to go after the tight end. Then in the middle is the, you know, the tight end premium one and a half PPR. And then just a regular state, you know, whatever league, that's when he would get pushed down. Yeah. All right. So uh, these rankings, I, I just we're not going to go through through all of them, but I just want to I want to kind of talk through some of the big decision points that people will have. So the first one is you have Najee number one. You know, obviously this would be you know just regular uh, you know PPR dynasty leagues or whatever. And ETN number two. I actually don't disagree with putting the two running backs first. Um, putting them over chase over pits, which I think that some people and some people are going to have Devonta Smith one-on-one, you know, yada, yada, so on and so forth. I think that true top 10 weekly and seasonal ceiling running backs are so hard to come by right now. I mean, go look at your dynasty rankings right now. Anyone, I mean, guys like Deandre Swift, who's going to play on the worst team in the NFL top 10 running back JK Dobbins, who might get 200 touches this year. 
is the RB9. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is like the RB8 to 12, depending on who's doing the rankings. So I think landing spot dependent, these rankings are totally accurate. However, I I have ETN1. I don't think it's like egregious to have Najee over him. Um, I And I guess I it's so weird because just when you look at Travis ETN, doesn't he just look like a guy who should catch more passes and Najee looks like a dude... He looks like Gus Edwards, but I mean, that that's a lot of conjecture in putting what NFL coaches are going to decide with him on. So why don't you talk through Najee versus ETN? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I care about in terms of being true workhorses is size and BMI. Uh, that That is something that, that matters in my model. Um, and I know that ETN weighed in at 215, but I think we would all it's agree. It's a fake that, 215, yeah, though. That, that's, not a, that's not a real 215. I mean, he weighed more at his pro day than Javante Williams did. And I don't think that they're going to play at those weights necessarily. I mean, Williams might, but I think ETN, and he's even been quoted uh, in saying that he plays closer to like 205. And so that's somewhat of a concern for me in terms of like, true true workhorse i mean look across the league all the guys who are these true workhorses who are seeing these like 15 plus percent target shares you know these crazy running back rush shares they're all guys who are who are larger and they're Najee harris size um and so that's one of the reasons why i like harris more age i think that you can make the argument um you know knocks is, is a knock against Najee, but um i haven't found age to be that big of a factor with not for running backs because the, the, generally speaking, you're only going to get, you know, you're not going to get many Joe Mixons to begin with, but then on top of that, you're only going to get four to five years. Four, out of these four years of them. Yeah. And so, and so with a guy like Harris, it's like, okay, he'll be what 27 by the end of that. That's not really 28, you know, after that, sure. You know, maybe you would, if you draft Najee Harris, maybe you want to sell him in dynasty after three years. Um, but I, I'm not that concerned about the age factor. And then the fact that Harris is that size and he compiled the reception share and he has the receiving profile that he does. That's what's intriguing to me. I, I just think he's a better all around safer bet. Whereas a guy like ETN comps more to like a DeAndre Swift profile at the end. Of and the he's game. got, if ETN, I think Najee will get 200 touches his rookie year, literally regardless of what team drafts him. I don't care if it's Jacksonville. I don't care if it's, I, it just does not matter. Whoever drafts him is going to draft him and use him right away. Um, whereas ETN, I could see him going in the second round to a team that like, uh, the, I mean, the Cardinals before the James Conner signing was the popular one, but I could see him going to a team that uses him in a timeshare year one. And I, I also worry he might get typecast into the, the Dion Lewis, you know, Shane Vereen style. Like he gets yeah. some carries, but you know, is on, really only playing like 30% of the snaps or whatever. But I also think that, ETN as a workhorse probably sees more receiving work just because whatever team drafts him is going to be like, he plays at 205 pounds. We need to give this guy touches in space as opposed to running him up the yeah, gut. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, we're probably looking at like a DeAndre Swift type trajectory from like a, <clears throat> from like yeah. a market value standpoint and where DeAndre Swift was last season to where he is now and how people like him as a talent, understandably so. And they, uh, you know, see the receiving profile there and then he's going to see and capture a pretty decent target share in the offense. I just think, I think Najee has more of the, you know, like, like if you look at the literal top tier of running backs in fantasy football, um, whether it's this year or what we've seen over the last few years, Najee fits that prototype more to me than Travis Etienne does. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, you have Jamar Chase as your number one overall wide receiver. No, no, no quibbles there. I am curious though on your ranking here of Javante Williams. I I think now I haven't seen everyone's ranks in the world. I have not seen Javante Williams uh, this high in rankings. I you know I I basically assume the wide receiver two whether that be Marshall, whether that be Devonta, whoever, whoever you have there, whether it be Bateman um, and then Pitts probably go ahead of Javante in all drafts. But I mean, you know, again, draft position does impact all this. Oh, I guess the, the big question with Javante is, are we worried that Michael Carter might suck and is not an NFL running back? And if Michael Carter is not an NFL running back, that's not great for Javante. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a concern. I think that that's uh, probably you know, I, I'm not that big into Michael Carter because of size um, and because of, of him being, I mean, he looks like almost like a Devin Singletary clone at this point because of how slow um, and, and how mediocre his pro day was. Yeesh. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I with, with Javante being four for me, it speaks just as much to the position itself in fantasy football as it does Williams as a player. Now, I like Williams a good bit. I mean, he broke the pro football focus record this past year for broken tackles per attempt. I mean, he's, he's a very good prospect in my eyes. Um, and, you know, even while splitting that backfield with Michael Carter, he still had a reception share above 10% this past season. Um, you know, his numbers were fine. I, I'm not really concerned about that. Um, you know, I think that the, the only concern might be like, is he athletic enough? But uh, the, the main reason here for, for his ranking there is because, if you look at the grand scheme of things within this class, there's a clear drop-off, like a massive, massive drop-off in uh, player quality, in my opinion, at the running back position after Javante Williams. After Javante, yep. And so, and so meanwhile, at wide receiver, there's a good uh, grouping right at, around this point in time between like two and seven, where realistically post-draft, any of those guys could jump up to the two spot. I have Rashad Bateman as my wide receiver two, and I have Rondell Moore as my wide receiver seven, and Elijah Moore as my wide receiver six. If those guys land in the right spot, you could see them flip-flop, right? And if Rashad Bateman falls in the wrong spot, then then those rankings could flip-flop really easily. So this, this says, the Javante ranking says just as much about the class in total as it does Javante himself. You know, if he doesn't get the right capital, if he doesn't fall in the right landing spot, it's the running back position. So of course, I'm going to change the way that I, I view him, right? Uh, but right now, I think it's it's logical enough to, to put him in that four spot just because of the position he plays and what that means for immediate value in fantasy football. Yeah. So where are you at with Pitts? I know, uh, I mean, you famously hated Rob Gronkowski, obviously. And and you are, you know, you, you play in a very data-driven way, but you also are pretty comfortable taking risks as well. Sort of my thesis statement on Pitts is, most of the data we have on tight ends is bunk because their tight ends are just so hard to evaluate. Not that many of them get used at the NFL level. Very few of them are like actually disgustingly good athletes and productive, right? So like for every Jay Samaro you have who is productive, 
but not super athletic. You have a Doran Dickerson who is super athletic and not productive. You you just do not have very many of the 90th percentile spark plus early declare plus productive stuff like that. I mean, how many com- like how many comps really are there for Pitts? Like five in the entire history of the draft, maybe. I wouldn't even say that much. I mean, I think I have. I don't think we've seen a player like this since Vernon Davis, a tight end like this since Vernon Davis, and even then. You know, Vernon Davis wasn't lining up in the outside like like Kyle Pitts can. He he Vernon Davis is three inches shorter than Kyle Pitts. Uh yep. so we we just haven't seen this size, athleticism, uh, production, all of these profiles coming together into one player, which is why he's being touted as a top five pick right now in the real NFL draft. And you know, uh, uh, plenty of leagues like the tight end position does not matter as much as running back and wide receiver in fantasy football. That's basic supply and demand. Right. I understand the idea and the allure behind this is why, by the way, this is why Davis said, I hate Rob Gronkowski. I don't hate Rob Gronkowski. I hate the idea. I've always hated the idea of very, very early round tight ends. I'm talking like, you know, mid first round. I think that you can make the argument more so in today's game because the wide receiver position has gotten a little bit deeper and fluffier. So you don't have to necessarily pinpoint one of those early round wide receivers in your fantasy draft, which means the opportunity cost in getting, you know, a Travis Kelsey in the first round isn't as significant as it used to be. But regardless, Kyle Pitts immediately becomes a top four dynasty tight end immediately with, with Kittle Waller and, and Kelsey. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Kelsey's getting a little bit older um, and Pitts could just end up being, amazing and being great and so even if the tight end position doesn't matter um you know as much as running back and wide receiver I still think Pitts because of the prospect profile and because of the confidence I feel in him as a prospect I still think that he slots in in the top five in in dynasty non-superflex rankings you know despite the fact that some of these wide receivers could end up being more valuable I, I wouldn't doubt that because of the position that they play um but their profiles at least have more red flags than Kyle Pitts' profile has yeah, and I mean, I would even say Pitts goes to tight end number three in Dynasty. I would rather have Pitts right now than Waller. You know, Waller is, it, yeah, we, so. we don't think of Waller as being old, but he was basically a practice squad player for four years. He's 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey is going to be 32. Um, Kittle, I think, is still super young. I think Kittle is 25 um, yeah. off, the, off the top of my head. So let's now talk about uh, what everyone wants to argue about, which is who's the wide receiver two or three. I think consensus has Devonta Smith number two. I I do not. I do not agree with that, which just shows you how much there is up in the air. And, and it's up in the air for a couple of different reasons. The first reason is Devonta Smith. If you, if you don't have film analysis as a huge part of your uh, evaluation, it's just very hard to, to roar shock test Devonta Smith into the second best wide receiver of this class. Um, just based off what we know about evaluating wide receivers. But then you have questions about literally everyone else, right? Bateman Mm -hmm. weighed in way under what we thought he played. I weighed in at 190 pounds. Now, maybe he'll play heavier than that. Maybe he did the reverse ETN where he lost weight so he could put the 43840 on tape, which is, I mean you know, good for him for running the fourth. Like it, it, I'm glad it worked out for him. Yeah. Uh, if he did actually play at 210, then you have Terrace Marshall who what 46% dominator rating as a 20 year old in seven games for LSU. And, you know, I, I actually, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Do you think dominator rating is a little bit 
skewed for Marshall because he did catch 13 touchdowns playing alongside Jefferson and Chase, including five touchdowns in the college football playoff games for for LSU. Like I, I feel like I feel like it's a little unfair to count his sophomore season as not a breakout, basically. Like, I feel like he, that was a legitimate breakout. Well, not, not only that, but he missed time uh, his sophomore year. This is the yeah. one thing that keeps on getting overlooked with Terrace Marshall's profile. Just just walk through what's happened throughout his college career, okay? He gets recruited. He was a really, really sought-after recruit. He gets recruited, goes to LSU, one of the best programs in the country. Uh, you know, freshman year doesn't do a whole lot because he's a freshman. We can't expect... You know, we don't expect Rondell more production from freshman wide receivers, uh, you know, all the time. So sophomore year happens, the Joe Burrow season, right? And this is the year that Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, I mean, even Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you have this very, very insane uh, team. receiving yeah. team. And <clears throat> through the first three and a half games, so, so Terrace Marshall played the first four games of that season. He got hurt in the fourth game against Vanderbilt. And through that point in time, he had scored more touchdowns than Justin Jefferson had. He only had one fewer reception than Justin Jefferson had. Now, Jamar Chase missed one game within that time frame, so it's not yeah. completely apples to apples. And Jamar Chase is a freak. But the, the point is, is that through that point in time, before he broke his foot, Terrace Marshall, he was right there with two of the best prospects that we've seen over the last decade. I mean, Justin Jefferson just broke the NFL receiving record this past year, right? And so yeah. – so, so Terrace Marshall is playing alongside a probable top five, at least fringe top five prospect in Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, who just broke the receiving record. And you mean to tell me that you're not going to factor in teammate score or some sort of teammate factor uh, when he's playing with wide receivers that are going to be better than his competition in the NFL, right? That's what I don't understand about Terrace Marshall in that sophomore season. And despite that, he still scored 13 touchdowns despite missing like four games that year. Uh, and then this past year, I don't think we'd be having the arguments about Terrace Marshall that we've seen on Twitter and stuff over the last month if he didn't opt out. Because he played seven games for LSU this past year. He opts out because there's different circumstances this season than we've ever seen before. Yep. He, didn't, he didn't need to play the final three games. So he plays 70% of the team's games. And so his season-long numbers don't look as good. You know, if you do it, if you do dominator on a per game basis, he looks or 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 break down any metrics. I don't really use dominator that much. I think it's a good reference point for people to just say like, oh, you know, he had this. The 40 it's yeah, it's just very, it's just good shorthand at this point. Right, right. But I break it all up into looking at different stuff in my model, and you know, he he is his production profile ideal. Is it completely clean? No, it's not completely clean. But there's a difference between the way I view a Henry Ruggs profile, which was not clean. And a Terrace Marshall profile because Henry Ruggs, his profile needed excuses that I was just talking yeah. about on Twitter yesterday. His profile needed excuses. And that excuse always was, oh, he played with great teammates. You can't expect him to, to dominate in production. But Henry Ruggs' production sucked. It wasn't just that he didn't, you know, if you have good teammates, you should at least hit some sort of floor. It's about the ceiling that's capped. With Terrace Marshall, his production was still fine. It was fine enough. And so when you give context, to that production, then all of a sudden he looks like a really, really good recruit. And then on top or prospect. And then on top of that, he's one of the few wide receivers in this class that has size. We don't have a lot of size at the position. We don't have many true alphas in this class. And I think that's what Terrace Marshall can be. And that's why I have Terrace Marshall at wide receiver three right now. My ranking is in it. Honestly, it, I, I could, I could have easily put him at wide receiver too. 
Yeah. And I mean, a lot of this, I mean, if Terrace Marshall goes to the chiefs at 31, you know, great. Or like, but if, or like green Bay or something, or, but then or, or if, if bait, if Bateman goes there, right. Uh, if Rondell Moore goes to the chiefs, if Rondell Moore goes to the Packers, if Rondell Moore goes to the Buccaneers, you know, right. uh, all, all this stuff is team dependent. Um, so like kind of this, these conversations are high level. And then also to help you realize like, which prospects are less landing spot dependent, which prospects are more landing spot dependent. I don't think any prospect is as landing spot dependent as Devonta Smith. Cause I don't think he's bad. Just like, I don't think Henry Ruggs is bad. I think that both of them have skill sets to play in the national football league. Right. I think that Henry Ruggs probably landed in one of the worst spots for him because John Gruden is not a good offensive coach. John Gruden doesn't. And, and Derek Carr is not a very good NFL quarterback. Um, for example, had Henry Ruggs gone to Carolina with Matt rule and even, even Teddy Bridgewater, right. Even Sam Darnold, I think Ruggs could smash in the, the Matt rule. Um, Oh, what's the, the LSU offensive coordinator. I just forgot Joe Brady. Like, I think he could do very well there. So, let's just let's just have it out on Devonta Smith. Okay. He won the Heisman Trophy. He's probably going to be the second wide receiver drafted, very likely I think to go inside the top 10 picks of the NFL draft, but almost for sure the top 15 picks of the NFL draft. Yeah. I still just he's a late declare. He got dominated by his teammates when they were active, right? You know, Jerry Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Irv Smith Jr., Najee, all of these guys were more productive relative. And then when they all left and when Jalen Waddell got banged up, then he then he broke out, right? I just, I, I cannot imagine, this is the scenario where I would draft Devonta Smith on a team. I have the 111 in a super flex draft. All the quarterbacks go, Pitts goes, the two running backs go. And Devonta and someone else takes Javante Williams. I, I I will say this: I would take Devonta Smith over Javante Williams. I think. I it think depends on landing spot, though. For, depends on landing spot, but yeah. but I think I think that Devonta Smith. I'm at least willing to say, I know enough that I don't know how good Devonta Smith can be. I can just say, a guy who weighed 170 pounds is a late declare and refused to run 40s at his pro day when the pro day was going to get juiced up anyways, those are all big warning signals for me. Yeah. So, so I, here, here's my take on them because I, I, I generally agree with you. I mean, the one thing to keep in mind is that, um, you know, th- there was a really weird uh, path for both Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, where Waddle as a freshman outperformed Devonte Smith as a sophomore. And then, Jalen Waddle's sophomore year was under, you know, it was, was below and not as good as Devontae Smith's junior year. And then this past year happens where both of them, realistically, both of them balled out like the entire season. Like even though Jalen Waddle was out for a lot of the season, Devontae Smith through the first four games was still really good from a, from a production standpoint. And so, you know, if you look at Devontae Smith's overall profile, his stat score if you will within my model my model looks at three main production metrics receptions per game yards per team attempt and touchdown share and that takes the best season from all those statistics uh his stat score is great he looks fine uh but the real question marks are what you said you know the the early declare stuff is really important i think 
because I think a lot of people are making excuses for Smith and saying, well, he could have came out last year, but if he would have come out last year, like he would have been a third round pick or whatever. If, 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 if he knew he would have been a first round pick last year, he would have come come out. out. Right. And so he clearly wasn't going to be at least a first round pick. We, we know that. And so uh, that's somewhat of a red flag only because players who, who are early declares they're declaring early because they're talented. They're good. There's some signal there. In fact, uh, my model goes back to 2006. There's been 53 wide receivers in the first round that have been drafted uh, since 2006 of those 53, 13 of them were not early declares. Okay. Of those 13 non-early declares in the first round, five, so of, bad. five of them have had at least one 1000 yard season and only one of them, one non-early declare since 2006 that's been drafted in the first round has had multiple 1000 yard seasons. That was Dwayne Bowe. And the list, by the way, of, of non-early declares in the first round is not good. I mean, it's it's so some of these names. I mean, it's basically like Kendall Wright, uh, Devontae Parker was another one uh, who had that 1,000-yard season, then Dwayne Bowe, like I said. So it's not really a, a good uh, group to be part of. And then I think with the BMI stuff and his size, it's okay for us to say we don't know. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 and when you have that ambiguity and you have those question marks, it's okay to then bump him down a little bit because there are other good wide receivers in this class. If there were not good alternatives, then it would be easy to say, yeah, we don't know about Devontae Smith's BMI, but I'm still going to put him at wide receiver too because there's not many great alternatives to begin with. But you're now, the opportunity cost is, oh, I'm not getting, or I'm drafting Devontae Smith, which means I'm not getting Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, you know, even if you like Jalen Waddlemer. I mean, there's a lot of good wide receivers at the top of this draft. And so from that perspective, you know, I'm cool with being like, yo, I can't get a good grasp on what Devontae Smith is as a prospect. And instead of leaning into that, and drafting him, I'm taking a step back and I'm saying there's other guys that I feel more confident in from a floor standpoint and from a ceiling standpoint. And that's why I'm leaning Bateman and Marshall ahead of Devontae Smith. Yeah, I am. I am leaning that direction as well. I think Bateman, Bateman seems like the early candidate to be this year's LaVisca Chenault, where all the, all the analytics guys just go crazy for him. And then the real football guys are like, well, he can't do this and he can't do that. And he gets hurt. You know, it's just like, it's just, it's just shaping up to be uh, one of those classic, uh, one of those classic debates. So uh, those are most of the guys I think that we just talked about who are likely to go in the first round of both super flex and non-superflex drafts so i i wanted to uh just start kind of start to get your thoughts on guys to target with your second round picks in these rookie drafts third round picks in these rookie drafts the one that who i am the most bullish on um it's got to be tylen wallace now tylen wallace not not an early declare like devonta smith i think he would have been an early declare though had he not torn his acl i think that when you tear your acl as a wide receiver prospect it probably I would guess that most of your advisors would be like, just go back to school and play some more and put some more good, uh, put some more good stuff on tape. Um, so where, where are you at on Tylen Wallace? Yeah. The other thing too, with the early declare stuff, it seems to matter more for first rounders than it does for, for other parts of the drafts. And, and I don't think Tylen Wallace is going to be a first round pick. So it's not as big of a deal for me. I mean, it's something, but it's not as big of a deal. My, my thing, maybe it has to do with the ACL tear. Um, you know, there is an injury risk there uh, in some way, but my, my thing is that his game is predicated on explosion and, and being yeah. like this, like really, I mean this, this, cause his frame isn't that massive, but 
Um, you know, he can play on the outside and he plays with a lot of, of, of grit, if you will. Um, and so uh, I was a little bit concerned with Tylen Wallace's pro day numbers because none of them really came out looking uh, amazing. And so if you're looking at like a tiebreaker, because athleticism metrics aren't that big of a deal for me, unless you're looking at like, you know, dart throws at the end of your draft to like differentiate one guy from the next or what have you. But when certain players do things and in, in, in certain traits, um, you know, like like DK Metcalf coming out was like this this freak of nature athlete. Um, and that's what his game was predicated on, which is beating defenders with physicality and being able to blow past them. And then literally everything lined up with that with like his 40 time and such. Right. And his, and his his height and weight and stuff. And I know that that his agility scores weren't as great, but that wasn't really what his game was. Whereas Tylen Wallace, his game is that explosion, uh, and and he didn't necessarily test like that, and that was my my main concern aside from the early declare stuff. But right now, I have him, um, you know, as my wide receiver eight. So he's right after like the the Moors, both Elijah and Rondell Moore, um, and he's he's the top. You know, he's I, I think he's like fringe in that tier, but I had him in the next tier. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's a, a pretty solid prospect. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so what about our guy Rondale, right? I mean, this, this rookie, this season, he puts up at 18 years old in the big 10 is like the stuff of legend, yeah. but he's five, seven. He's banged up both his sophomore and his junior season. Like, I think he played seven games combined those two years, including by the way, though, a game of 15 receptions, like 150 yards and a touchdown against uh eventual, uh, college football playoff finalists, Ohio State. But on the other hand, you can say, well, of course he's hurt because he's 5'7", seven, and 5'7", seven people shouldn't be playing, you know, high-level contact football. I I started out out on Rondale, and then Corain kind of talked me into him. And then, I mean, his pro day stuff, his training stuff, I mean, he, he had like a 44-and-a-half-inch vertic- vertical leap. And I think the NFL is kind of, not all teams, but some teams do not care if you're a dude is five seven because they're not asking him to run and beat single coverage and you know contest the catches anyways. They're looking to manufacture touches for these guys anyway. You know, and it's not like Tyreek Hill is really tall. It's not like uh you know there there are otherwise DJ Moore is is I think only five eleven. Like there there are guys who are succeeding now in different ways without being that tall. But but clearly Rondell Moore if he goes with a Gacian level play caller, he's just done. It'll just never happen for him. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be Dexter McCluster. Yeah. So the, the fear is, and I, I grouped uh, Elijah and Rondell Moore in their own tier in my rankings with like Waddle, Devante, uh, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman in the, in the tier above them. And the main reason for that is I think that Elijah and Rondell Moore both uh, look like slot guys at the next level. And when you're uh, a slot receiver, you can be really good in fantasy football if you're in the yep. right spot, but we're pre-draft right now and we don't know what those spots are. So there's a lot of, of different directions that this can go. in. if they, if either one of those guys lands with Kansas city, if either one of those guys lands with green Bay where, you know, they can play the slot and it doesn't matter, or they can, I'm sure, you know, a team like Kansas city will get creative with either guy, but with Rondell Moore, there's just a lot of question marks. Like we don't know again, what that size uh, how that size is going to translate exactly. Um, and then if he is a slot guy at the next level, which he's likely going to be, I don't think they're going to put him outside all that much. 
um, you know, what's that, what's that going to look like? You know, it's going to look different in every single offense that he plays for, you know, the, the, the adage is that, you know, players who can play outside can easily play in the slot. Players who play in the slot cannot easily play on the outside. And that's important when you're prospecting pre-draft when you don't know these landing spots. So that's why both of those mores were, were down for me. You know, am I concerned about his size? Maybe a little bit, um, but everything else checks, you know, he checks every other box, you know, great breakout age, uh, had that freshman season with his production. Um, you know, unfortunately he's been banged up the last couple of seasons, but I think his athleticism obviously is, is there and that's a plus as well. Um, so it just depends on where he goes. You know, I could see a situation, like I said earlier, where, um, you know, if he lands in the right spot, he's going to, he's going to elevate in this, in this rankings list. But if he doesn't land in the right spot um, where, you know, he has a good, he has obvious good quarterback play, obvious good coordinator, obvious good head coach. Um, then that's where he, he just stays kind of static and he's still in that like wide receiver, what seven spot or whatever. Yeah. I I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much with you there. Uh, I, I don't feel confident in giving hard and fast Rondell Moore. I mean, maybe, maybe the one thing I would say is right now, if you are in a league that is a little deeper, like you start 12 players, you it's super flex, right? Tight end premium, things like that. I would maybe be trying to scoop up some second round picks right now, you know, trading guys like Christian Kirk or whatever for second round picks, because I, I started out this draft process, not really loving any of the guys from the second round, but I think where we're at is there are going to be so much diverse opinions on guys who go in the second round of rookie drafts. You'll pretty much be able to get who you want, you know, whether that be guys like Brevin Jordan or Pat Fryermuth, the tight ends, maybe you have like a really hot take on one of the wide receivers. Maybe you really like, uh, maybe you really like one of these running backs, you know, maybe, maybe you're a big Kadarius Tony guy. Maybe you're a big Amon Ross St. Brown guy. Maybe you love Trey Sermon, whatever. I mean, I've seen tr- people rank Trey Sermon, you know, as their first overall running back, which I mean, seems patently absurd because he's not going to go, he's not going to go early enough. Um, I mean, I guess the thing with Sermon is that he's, he's always been good when he's played but he's not played very often. He's torn his he's torn his knees up twice and then actually transfer schools. I mean, how often do we see transfer running backs work out at the NFL level? I feel like it's very uncommon. Yeah, the thing with Sermon and the way that I'm viewing him is uh, there's not a clear RB4 in this class at all, uh, in my opinion. And he's one of the few in this class that has size, that has decent size. You know, he's 215. Um, and then on top of that, I could see draft capital being on his side more so than some of the other backs like Michael Carter, for instance, only because teams are not always the most intelligent in the way they prospect these guys. And Trey Sermon blows up in the big 10 championship and in the college football semifinal, you know, he rushes for like 500 combined yards in those games, maybe even more. Um, And I, I could see a team falling in love with that combined with his size, right? Production profile sucks. We've never seen him be, a true workhorse across an and they're going to get college. good quotes from two guys who NFL guys really respect Lincoln Riley and Ryan day. Like he'll, right. the, both of those guys will be like, great guy, good worker, yeah. smart. Yeah. Like, so, so that, I, which matters. Yeah. Right. Draft capital matters a heck of a lot at the running back position because you don't even necessarily need to be like the, the, the idea behind running backs, not mattering is absolutely there. Like the value of running backs doesn't matter nearly as much as people think. Um, but in fantasy football and the way we view it, you know, you still need to look at talent because talent hypothetically rises depth on depth charts. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, the running back position 
uh, the volume is driven by a coaching decision and, and getting these guys on the field. And if a guy is drafted in the first, second, or third round, then that means that team likes that player. And so that player is going to get volume and get opportunity. And so I think Trey Sermon's going to be the RB4 off the board in this draft right now. Um, and so if that's the case, and even if he's the RB5 or RB6, depending on landing spot, I, I think that he's going to be the one player, you know, right now we don't have a consensus RB four across fantasy rankings, but I think he's going to be the consensus RB four after the draft because uh, a team is going to just fall in love with that. And, and he'll have, you know, the, the, the big games that he had, he was a gamer. Uh, and then, you know, he'll have that draft capital and there's not a gamer. Yeah. You got to put him in that RB four spot. Cause you, you don't have any other choice. Yeah. Do you have, uh, I mean, is there, is there a, James Robinson, basically from this class, a guy who has a really good production profile, decent athletic profile, who is probably going to end up on a team um, that, that, you know, like everyone has these guys every year, like these running backs that we like theoretically, who, you know, fifth round picks on these NFL teams that justice Hill type guys, basically Um, do you, I, my, my guy is Chubba Hubbard. He it, it, it depends on who you listen to about his 40 time. It got, it got reported differently a couple of different places. He cost, he cost himself a ton of money going back to school. He would have been yeah. a very high draft pick last year. I think had he declared, but you know, what can you do? So, so Hubbard is my guy from this class. Yeah. I don't mind Hubbard. You know uh, I, I think that he's like got sort of, I think my comp for him was Tevin Coleman. Like he's sort of got like, it seems this, right. Like, complimentary piece to him but maybe not ever like capturing a, a backfield but he'll you know he can have some spiked weeks if someone gets hurt my guy in this class is kylan hill um who i i think is going to end up being i mean maybe a day three pick maybe he goes undrafted i'm not totally sure um but i, I would highly doubt he's a day two pick but uh the reason i like him so much you know it was a, a pass friendly offense in mississippi state but um he has a max season uh reception share uh, that's, that's top five in this class at 13.3%. Um, and he did that. He had that receiving profile at 214 pounds. Um, and then even this past season, uh, you know, he only played three games. He still caught 23 balls. He had an 18 and a half percent reception share this past year, uh, when he was active. So, you know, whether he catches passes or not at the next level, I think it's, it's good to show, uh, that it shows team intent, you know, that they wanted to get him the ball. Um, and he's got the right size. Uh, and so when you get that size and the receiving profile combination, you know, it's, it's intriguing to me. I think he's a fairly underrated prospect at this point. Yeah, there we go. Um, okay. And then the, uh, the tight ends, right? There are actually tight ends in this class. And I finally been reading all these mock drafts. I finally saw a second tight end mocked in round one. I saw, I, I well, now I care. I, I think maybe it was Peter Schrager, but uh, don't do not quote me on this. I saw Pat Fryermuth mocked at the back end of round one. Now Fryermuth, I don't, I don't actually think is solid because he doesn't fit this new NFL mold of being soft hands, good blocker, and like a great athlete. Like fr- Pat Fryermuth is like a really good tight end from like. 1998 right like he would he'd fit he'd fit really good and i think he'll be fine i think he'll probably go in like the third round and be a cole cometti style prospect of a guy you probably want to hang on your dynasty teams for a while just to see what happens but brevin jordan actually looks to me like a guy with some ceiling 
at the NFL level because he has a slightly better, uh, you know, a slightly better athletic profile. And then this is a, a weird thing you would almost never say about tight ends, but he's not like a massive dude. Like he's not like a, a big honking right tackle size guy. So that to me means that if a team drafts him with any kind of serious draft capital, they probably feel as if he is a pass catcher first, which is obviously what we want for fantasy. Yeah. So they, so Fryermuth has been comped as a baby Gronk by a lot of people, like not, not Gronk, obviously you can't do that. Um, but like, like in the same style where, but to your point, like Gronk is more of a classic tight end as opposed to, um, you know, some, some of the more move tight ends that we see these days. Like I, the, I sort of see Brevin Jordan as a Johnu Smith type, um, where you can line them up all over the field. They did that when he was in college for a little bit. I mean, Brevin Jordan's average at the target was like nine, his, uh, his, his freshman year. And then, or yeah. sorry, his, his yards per reception was nine. His, his average after the target was like three. Uh, but his yards per reception was like nine, his freshman year. And then that jumped to 14 and 15, the next two seasons, because they started utilizing him more down the field. So I do think he has more versatility. Um, I, I don't, like, I, I don't think, he, like, we don't know exactly what Friar Muth, because he didn't test. So I don't know exactly what he would have looked like athletically, but I will say he went to Penn State and Penn State guys. They test- do just churn out. They <laughs> yeah. do just churn out these guys. That's true. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm sort of like, maybe it's, maybe it's naive, but I'm a little bit optimistic about that side of things because he's coming from Penn State genuinely. Um, and then with Brevin Jordan, he didn't test poorly. He, 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 uh, you know, I, I would have liked a little bit better of a speed of a height and weight adjusted speed score than he had, uh, only because, uh, I did a study last off season on, uh, breakout tight ends and, and guys who far outperform their ADP and what we've seen historically and what, what traits they've shared. Uh, and with Brevin Jordan, uh, he doesn't necessarily hit the threshold for like the average speed score of breakout tight ends was in the 86th percentile and his speed score is not that high. It's like in the 60th or something. So I don't mind either guy. Uh, there's a reason why they're not, you know, close to, to a Kyle Pitts, but I have Fryermuth right above Brevin Jordan, but they're in the same tier. Um, and I, I, I say that because I do think that Jordan is probably a little bit more landing spot dependent because I think you have to get, you have to utilize yeah. him in a more versatile, creative way than you would with Fryermuth, who again is more of that traditional tight end. Yeah. All right. So we've been talking rookies now for like 45 minutes and we haven't gotten to Kenneth Gainwell yet, who I, I got to be honest, if he didn't go to Memphis, I don't think I would be like that, that into him. Like, I think he would seem fine. He would seem like every other uh, 210 pound, four or five running, running back ever. Like if he went to a good team, I'd be interested. But the fact that he was in this lineage of Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson. And by the way, Patrick Taylor, who is on, I mean, yeah. say what you, he's on an NFL roster, right? He is on the green Bay Packers roster. This isn't like a guy who had to go be a carpenter when he was done um, playing college football. And he caught a ton of passes. He caught 51 passes in 2019. I don't think he's like a special athlete, you know, unless Memphis uh, it, it like de-juice their guys pro days, but he does seem to me like a guy who is probably skilled enough to play. If he gets the opportunity, it's just like, if he's a second round pick, I'm pretty into him, I think. 
Oh yeah, for sure. If, if, if he gets day two draft capital in general, I'm going to be, I'm going to feel pretty good about him. I mean, the, the, the problem for me is that this is the kind of running back that I generally fall in love with because uh, yeah, the, the athleticism profile isn't quite there, but second best receipt reception share uh, max season reception share in this class didn't play last year. So you only have that 2019 season. So he doesn't have that much college experience, but again, you go back to this lineage of these running backs coming out of Memphis and you have, uh, you know, when, when he played in 2019, he was playing alongside Antonio Gibson and he was the back. Ken, Kenneth Gainwell yep. was the back because Antonio Gibson was playing a wide receiver. Um, and so I think that says something that he was on the same field and, you know, stealing touches from a player who uh, is as stealing talented. touches from Henderson as a true freshman too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think there's something to that. Now, my fear with Gainwell is that he's definitely, I shouldn't say he's definitely, my fear with Gainwell is that he's more most likely going to be typecasted to being sort of a satellite back at the next yeah, level. Yeah, Dion Lewis. And so the issue with that then is that he ends up being less having less standalone value and more so uh you know hurting some some you know already established running back on that team. The 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 team that I keep keep thinking about Gainwell going to is is Jacksonville where it would just all of a sudden like torpedo or hurt James Robinson's value a good bit because he wouldn't see the receiving. And he'd be connected to Lawrence and Visca and shark. And it'd just be amazing. It would be, it's a good fit, I think. Um, And, and Jacksonville has been tied to uh, some reports, uh, you know, looking and scouting running backs. Um, And so I I could see something like that happening, but in that case, you know, Gainwell might not have the same allure from a fantasy perspective. He's just a better real football player. And then he just ends up hurting James Robinson too. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I think that we should just uh, I think that we should just rapid fire through some of these other guys here in the bottom half of your rankings. Michael Carter. Uh, do I mean, do we even think he is an average NFL running back? Because I think that question should dictate how we feel about Javante Williams. I think he can be average. Yeah. My comp for Michael Carter, I already mentioned the Devin Singletary thing with the way he tested. I don't think that's his comp per se. I think his higher end comp is like Gio Bernard out of the same school. Um, you know, where he could, he could play a satellite back role. I just, you know, the athleticism really isn't there. And that's a little bit scary. I don't think he's going to be like a, you know, I think he's more of an RB three type in fantasy rather than an RB two. Yeah. Uh, all right. Tamorian Terry. I've heard very little about him. I was surprised to see him, uh, in your top 30. I, I mean, I've seen him like unranked by some, which again is not un, unnatural, Right. Once you get past, you know, the top 20 yeah, skill position yeah. players, it just it's it's all random. Yeah, because we're waiting for landing spot here. Like like, you know, I could have easily put like Seth Williams in this top 30, but I didn't because I'm hearing stuff. You know, it, I, you know, if, if if you listen to the film, guys are talking about lack of separation. They're uh, worried about him dropping in the draft and such with Terry. Um, you know, you have the same separation issues. Um, but again, this is a class. This wide receiver class doesn't have much size. Um, you know, true alphas or, or potential alphas. And he does, he's six, two, he weighs about 210 pounds. He ran a sub four five forty at his pro day. Um, and then his production pro- uh, profile, you know, this past year was a little bit bad, but he was dealing with a knee issue. So there's at least some context there outside of that, you know, his production profile is actually pretty clean. So that's really why I put him there is because he looks decent in my model. He's got the right size. You know, he's not going to be just forced in the slot role where, all of a sudden, this is super team dependent situation, um, and so I'm just shooting for that upside a little bit more because of that size. Yeah, I I I, I like that um, use case, right? Just as a guy who like 
look, maybe all, he doesn't end up being an NFL player all that often or a really impactful one, but when he does, he gets typecast into a good role, especially because this draft in particular is very heavy on smaller slot wide receivers. And right. he is, he and like Sage Surratt are some guys who can play outside at the NFL level. Another one I think is Nico Collins, who did have a sub 20 year old breakout age, but he just is, uh, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones, Devin, just these guys who go to Michigan and just die. Their production just dies. Yeah. I mean, you could just take the same, uh, you know, stuff that I just talked about with Terry and just kind of attribute it to Nico Collins. Like that's the logic behind it is that you get a bigger bodied player who looks fairly athletic, didn't have the best production profile in the world, but you're just hoping that it clicks and it works and that his athleticism and his ability transfers to the the next level. Um, You know, I, I just think that once we see landing spots, we'll see more slot guys in my rankings, at least jump in because I'm going to be able to see how they fit into their individual offenses. Right now, I leaned more pre-draft towards guys who might not be as landing spot dependent, which is why a guy like Terry and Collins made the top 30. Yeah, I, which I, I'm in because I, I do. I see. I, I definitely see the upside there. Totally with you on Jalen Darden. Just because, I mean, you do not see uh, total dominance over teammates like Jalen Darden had all that often. I mean, just such an absurd final season at North Texas. Yeah, and he, he has, he has like, the like he's going to play the slot. But the difference between him and a lot of other, like, you know, random slot guys that you can look at in this draft uh, that are going to go later. I mean, he might be, like, a round three, like a day two pick. But that, that'll go later uh, in your rookie drafts and in the NFL draft uh, is that he tested incredibly well in, in like agility drills and stuff, which is something that then transfers well to a slot role. Right. And then you add on all the production he had at North Texas. Um, I think he's a really, really fun prospect. Yeah. Um, and then our final guy here, I, I actually want someone to explain to me the Kylan Hill thing. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't have a strong feeling about him one way or the other, but he has now become a guy I've heard from, I know Waldman likes him. I know Corrine likes him. Uh, and he, this is, this is my concern with him is every year. There's a running back who plays in an air raid offense in college who never has anyone near him. Right. Cause that's just the way the offense is designed. He's fast enough. And just again, due to the way the offense is designed, he catches like 50 passes because you just catch 50 passes in an air raid offense. If you're the running back. So where, where are you at on Kylan Hill? And is there, you know, a, a great explanatory variable that makes him, you know, bet who is the James Williams was the guy, the Washington state running back who got signed by the chiefs who everyone was, was hyped on. I mean, seriously, there's one of these guys every year. Yeah. So I mentioned Kylan Hill earlier with the guy that I, I liked, you know, that was like my running back, my dude who I'm sort of targeting because again, he has great size, about 214 pounds. Uh, and then I mentioned, you know, that, that he caught 23 passes in the three games that he played this past year. So all his reception share numbers are great. The difference between him and some of these other running backs, you know, like the James Williams is that he has size. He's 214 pounds. So that combination of the receiving profile and his size is what really intrigues me. Yeah. All right, man. Well, there we go. What do we have? What do we have to look out for on numberfire.com? What's coming next? When are the when are the uh, the rookie rankings going to be done after the draft? Are you and Jim? Uh, are you guys doing live live anything during the draft? What's up? 
Yeah, so the FanDuel YouTube channel will have a live stream going uh, day one and day two. Uh, so, you know, we'll have uh, all of us just kind of giving takes on, you know, immediate reactions on these picks, but then you're know, giving betting implications, uh, fantasy implications. And then I will actually, I'm working on my projections right now. Uh, they'll be done and ready for next week. So I'll be able to give you uh, live projections too whenever these guys, uh, you know, when, when we get official landing spots for these guys. All right, there we go, everyone. Uh, listen to the Late Round Podcast. Subscribe to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Read JJ's stuff on numberfire.com, and we will be back next week.